0: Thank you, Lauren, um, and the Faith and Law Group um, for having me here. Um, I think Michael provided a great introduction. I also want to just make sure you know a bit about the Center for Public Justice. Um, We're a 40-year-old organization, um, a Christian policy and civic engagement organization with with the goal of promoting theologically informed ideas in public life and equipping Christians for faithful citizenship. Um, We're we're rooted in a reformed tradition, but work ecumenically, and so we're um, really motivated by an understanding of God's presence and lordship over every square inch of creation um, and the common good of all these institutions that make up our society, from government to business to um, civil society, voluntary organizations, churches, and then, of course, families. Um, So I've been asked to talk today about the biblical case for paid family leave, and I think that biblical case and policy case is really uh, tied in with the topic of family itself. So I'm gonna talk a little bit today about um, kind of some biblical visions of family. We'll touch a little bit on public policy and some of what's happening right now, some of what I think the uh, offices on the Hill have been very engaged in, and then some of the policy horizons. What is the role of family leave and, and family in a post-pandemic society the one that we long for um, when these days come to an end. Uh, so a little bit of that reflection, a little bit of policy and um, but I'll say that I uh, when I was originally asked to talk that was um, it feels like a million years ago. I was going to speak on the hill uh, with everyone here in March and um, it was that very day that faith and law made the difficult decision to suspend in-person gatherings and it was the same day that the Capitol itself closed. To outside visitors um, and so it feels like a very different time kind of a moment we didn't quite know uh, this kind of the scope and gravity of what was going to occur and originally I thought I'd begin by referencing one of my favorite Bible stories um, which is uh, an event that some call Jesus's first public min- um, public miracle. Um, early in Jesus's ministry he was attending a wedding um, the Bible says, in the town of Cana, and um, it's reported that Jesus was tipped off by his mother, who was also attending the wedding, that the host's store of wine was running running out. Um, this must have been a significant stock of wine, because the Bible also says, I think it was three days that they had been gathering and celebrating, um, and Jesus's mother is certain that Jesus can fix this problem, and he puts her off. doesn't really at first want to get involved. But ultimately, Jesus turns water contained in, that was was contained in these large ceremonial jars, uh, I guess at the wedding location. He turns those into wine that can be enjoyed by the guests for the remainder of the wedding celebration. And so I just love this story because it has it all. It has a meddling mother, uh, uh, um, which I am, I will say, uh, in real life, a reluctant but obliging son, uh, joy and community and family, and of course, good food and wine. And so this story um, at this at this wedding in, in Cana, Jesus is fulfilling both his human responsibilities, but also pointing to his divine calling. So his human responsibility to honor his mother's desire for the wedding festivities to be enjoyed. But his actions do contain this glimmer of his divine role to tell us something about God's love for humanity, and that, and what we learn in that story is God's love um, and embrace of the family as integral um, to human life. So the Center for Public Justice thinks a great deal about family in the context of policy and in public life. We define family as a covenant relationship of mutual love and trust. It's that place wherein the image of God in each person is nurtured and cultivated. And so I like to think of family as being marked by self-giving and by a kind of faithfulness that persists throughout the highs and lows, the push-pulls of life. Um, I don't want to neglect to say that families are not perfect and some are deeply flawed. And so even as we talk about the role of family, to know that to embrace family is not to embrace all the kinds of sin that can arise within it or to give cover to abuses or mistreatment that can exist within the family or even a version of family that resolves into insularity and selfishness. But we do believe that when families live well into their calling, they exist to love and care for the members within them, regardless of what those family members do or achieve. Family life is unique and we believe God created created it to be unique um, because it's not instrumental. It's not an exchange of labor for pay or one thing for another. We belong to family because we belong to family. Pope Francis has described family as a sanctuary of respect for life. But reflecting again in preparation for today's talk, now moved to a different venue and on a different kind of day, Good Friday, another story about Jesus' life came to mind. According to the Gospel of John, at the end of Jesus' life, while undergoing a public hanging on a cross, his thoughts turned to family. John writes, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, woman, behold thy son. After that, he said to his disciple, son, behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So here's another biblical picture of family the forging of a family bond in the worst of circumstances, Um, but a bond that nevertheless carries the love that Jesus felt for both his mother and his friend. And a bond that again expresses Jesus' human responsibilities and his divine mission. So his obligation to honor his mother even at the end of his life and his godly desire that the humans he love not be alone. So I think these give us a taste of why uh, from the Christian point of view, family is so, so deeply important and part of every phase of our life. Um, the Bible kind of shows us that in both the joy of new beginnings and even in the endings of life that come before um, the resurrection, um, that the Bible honors this particular kind of human relationship, the relationship of family. And we learn from Jesus at Cana and Jesus at the cross that families can be formed and strengthened in hardship as well as joy. Um, I bring that up now because families are being tested in ways that perhaps our generation has never seen before. Um, in April, 2020, family means, can mean spouses caring for partners who've been infected with COVID-19. It can mean picking up groceries for your parents because they're, they would risk illness by leaving their apartment. It can mean wondering how you will work and take care of kids when school is now closed. It can mean staying home from work because you're concerned that working would expose you and then those you love to a virus that you bring home. And for some of of us, it may mean grieving those who are lost. So in these sensitive circumstances, but understanding the deep importance of policy, our federal policy policy apparatus has moved quickly, as many of you know and have been part of. Um, So I'm going to shift a little bit to talk about what some of those policy responses have been and how family is integrated into it and how that can help us think even into the future about family policy. As many of you know, one of Congress's first actions in response to COVID-19 included a way of addressing the duties that many of us now have to family. And that's specifically through this mechanism of emergency paid sick and family leave. Um, On March 18th, the president signed into law the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Um, It went into effect in uh, just the beginning of this month, and that law creates a mechanism for emergency pay for those who need to be away from work temporarily, um, either for their own illness or for family care. So this is essentially an emergency paid leave program. that starts with businesses, nonprofits, or other employers paying their employees for time that they need to spend away from work um, with employer employers and being reimbursed the full amount through um, the tax credit system. And so even now kind of our policy and our family policy is beginning to kind of take account of the kinds of family circumstances that are part of many of our lives. So being uh, quarantined, sick, or potentially symptomatic with COVID-19, needing to care for those who are sick or under quarantine, um, or needing to care for a child who is out of school or whose child care provider is also is closed because of COVID-19. Those are some circumstances contemplated here. Um, and I'm sure just some of what households are experiencing. Um, we know that there's always gray area in how the law is executed and how it um, works its way into our lives, but I, um, but I think the core point here is that in a time of crisis, our responsibilities to family matter. Um, that kind of intuition that we feel in our, um, in our hearts and our minds that kind of uh, a crisis is a time to check in and be present for family. Uh, I'm really grateful that that was responded to and reflected in this um, act of Congress early on. And of course, this is essentially, especially important for those um, who can't afford, who, who may need the time off but can't afford to just be away from work um, or are just feeling this impending financial anxiety They don't have the reserves right now to cover extra time away. Um, so emergency paid family leave means that families need not choose between financial security and family duty. So I I don't know if this is true for you but for me COVID-19 does feel like an encompassing reality Um, and I think it will be for some time to come. Uh, It could call some of us to family care that we may not have anticipated or in a way wanted Um, and there may be moments for us kind of like the moments at the foot of the cross where the shape of our families change by necessity. But we also know that there will be now and in the future um, weddings as well. We know that God's desire expressed at Cana for family as a life-giving and celebratory place that remains. Um, children will be born during and after this crisis and we will need to care for one another in health and sickness. All of the other purposes and milestones of family life will persist and they should. Um, and so I think this is where looking at how the Christian tradition teaches us um, how family shapes both a human person and, and also the foundations of society is really, is really helpful to, to think about. Um, so family is not just here in a crisis, but also that kind of enduring foundation that in some ways prepares us for moments like this um, and prepares and builds the human perp- person throughout, to, throughout our lives. Um, I'm sure. Just a couple examples. Um, we're rooted in the reform tradition, so we think about ideas uh, shared like these: that society is um, is a way of God's shaping, so- or that family is a way of God shaping society. That family, according to Andy Crouch, is culture at its smallest and most powerful. Um, that family can have this indelible shape on our lives. Um, this is why uh, in kind of the pre-pandemic times and in the post-pandemic times, um, those of us who've been thinking about family policy, many of us think that there's a need for a more enduring family supportive set of policies. Um, We know that even outside of these irregular circumstances, that families are struggling to dedicate the time to one another that they would like to dedicate, um, even at very vital moments of human development. Uh, like the birth of a child or uh, a period of a family member in hospice care. Um, and sometimes this is by choice, it's by the uh, um, or because of the field or line of work that we're in, um, but also it's by necessity for some because we're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, Pew Research found a few years ago that even of Americans who could take some time off of work after the birth of a child, for example. Over half said that they felt they had too little time with the newborn child, Um, just not enough time for that early bonding phase, for um, uh, for parent-child interaction, uh, for 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 mothers for breastfeeding and other kinds of kind of intimate parental care. We'll get into that in a minute, but I think it's just notable that just over half of folks, even who can take some leave, feel like they um, haven't had that time to bond and begin to build those family connections early on. This is in part because fewer than 20% of all workers have access to paid family leave at their place of work. And so this is a, can be a challenge for lots of us, and it leaves families with low incomes in a particular bind. Um, we know from that same research from Pew that families making under $30,000 a year, um, only one-third were able to take leave when they needed, when they needed it. Um, Pew also found that a a third of those low income families um, to take leave, to take time with the newborn child, uh, had to go on public benefits or go into debt, take out credit card debt or another form of debt in order to fund their family operations while being away from work. So earlier this year, Congress was considering at least three models for funding this gap um, and offering paid family leave to Americans. Um, there, so there are kind of three big ideas that have been present in this conversation. The idea of repurposing the child tax credit um, to provide funds for families during that immediate time after a child is born, um, allowing families to pull forward part of their social security funds to use in the kind of in the child rearing years, um, right after a child is born or adopted, or a 12 week benefit that's paid for through the payroll tax. Those have been some of the three big ideas and there have been conversations about which offers um, a sustainable and just way to support families. But the core goal for all of these is to provide parents and other caregivers some source of financial support for the time that they must take away from work to provide critical care um, to a new child or a vulnerable family member. Um, To date, the way that... The conversation in the united states has has emerged is that it's shaped around the family medical leave act which was passed in 1993 um, that provides american workers with 12 weeks but of unpaid leave it protects somebody's job for for 12 weeks after a child is born or there's a pers- personal medical need or care for a family member um, but the united states unlike uh, most other uh, industrialized nations has to, has not yet established a national policy providing paid leave. So as we think more about that, there are a couple of sources of information that helps us think about what, will, what would that look like and what would it mean for families. And the data really tells us one big thing, which is that what makes a big difference to, to humans and particularly starting with young children is, is simply time with a parent. Um, that a huge difference can be made with parent and child's time. So in 2004, the state of California was the first state to enact uh, a form of paid family leave. It's the first of now eight different states around the country. So we were beginning to kind of see, learn a little bit more about what this could look like and what it could mean. Um, in California, because of that, Uh, there was a shift. Uh, Researchers found that before paid family leave, the typical mother had three weeks of leave time with a new child, and that um, expanded to six or seven weeks with a new child after that law was enacted. Um, It also meant that uh, mothers' access to pre- and postnatal health care changed significantly. So the share of low-weight births dropped. um, The likelihood of of, um, early term birth um, with all of its risks of um, infant death or maternal health complications um, those decreased as well and then we've also seen that where mothers do have an advantage that have the ability to take advantage of the FMLA um, there's significant improvement in birth weight and child and maternal health so these health outcomes of course are indicators of of something deeper, right? Um, they kind of give us just a taste of what's going on um, when, we ha- when a child has time with a parent. Um, and so we just know something else from, from science and from uh, the health fields that, um, that kind of connects to those intuitions and the knowledge that we, we also receive from our faith. And that, that there's something pretty miraculous at work um, within the family relationship. Um, so, what science says, a scientific story, is that at birth, a child's brain is not yet fully built. And in those first 1,000 days and even those first three years of a child's life, um, tens of thousands of connections are being built and developed in a child's brain that yeah. form the basis for future learning and health. Um, and the way that these connections are built is through relationships and attachment to loving adults and parents in their lives. And so if anyone has held or raised a child, um, uh, this is kind of what, you, this is what you may have experienced, that process of a baby beginning to babble or gesture and you respond and, um, or, or a baby beginning to cry and a parent comforts. And as simple as that is, that's the very foundation um, for cognition um, for our emotional, or the kind of the range of emotions that we express later in life, um, and for our ability to form relationships, um, and I think uh, what's also miraculous and amazing in a way is that these very same familial interactions change parents as well. So we know that on the parent side, when we respond to a loved one's, um, a baby's cry or someone's need. Um, we are developing new forms of emotional regulation. Um, there are new hormones that are um, that come into play that change who we are, um, and of course, new mindsets and new habits emerge through those patterns and years of caregiving. So, kind of thinking, bringing those two stories together, when we think about the case for paid family leave, we're thinking about um, kind of on the one hand, the honor. Um, and the, and the simple duty that we have called to care um, for children and those who are vulnerable in our families. And then we have the scientific story that tells us exactly how valuable that is um, to the formation of a human person, to the formation of relationships. And then I think our further you know, religious and moral story is that um, uh, these very relationships uh, are what model uh what health and um, connectedness looks like in a larger among others and so therefore form the basis of a healthy society um, and again when we think about what we're experiencing now it's those enduring bonds that many of us uh, rely on and fall back upon um, when there's a, a experience of crisis and stress and strain but we wouldn't have ha- we wouldn't have those unless we had built them in the first place and had the time to build them in the first place. So I'd like to close with this part um, by just reflecting quickly on the flip side of family leave, which is work. So family leave is a way of protecting our time away, uh, protecting our time with family. It's also as much a way of protect, uh, enabling time away from work. Um, And I think it can be argued that family leave, at least in the way that we're contemplating it now, is is necessitated by a society that is encouraged and really depends upon the work of many people. Um, We can kind of see that now, right, as the loss of work or the closure of places of work um, affects families, financial well-being, as well as the whole economy. Um, The flip side of that is... uh, A society that demands so much of us around work has a tendency has a risk of shaping our lives around the workplace and providing too few margins for us to have time away Um, a few of us are maybe fortunate to have jobs that are flexible enough to accommodate caregiving and well compensated enough to pay all the bills Um, but that's not true for for all of us not true for everyone in our society Um, and so for many folks how much we work and when we're able to not work and to care is shaped by our job rather than the other way around and so paid family leave is a way of kind of holding some space setting aside and protecting that space even in our, in our modern economy for crucial family time and caregiving time um, I, kind of reflecting again i'm curious what will happen to that tendency the tendency to kind of override um, family time with work how that might change after the coronavirus has upended all of our lives um, for some of us, it's brought our normal routines to, the halt, to a halt, and for others, it's intensified them. I do think it might teach us the value of another biblical principle, which is that work is a God-given task, uh, but it was designed by God with limits. Um, so on six days, God worked. And on the seventh day, he rested. Um, I think we're learning a bit now that there are seasons of our lives, um, many seasons in which work is good. And there are some good reasons to stop working. First and foremost, to worship God, but also to preserve the health of our society and neighbors. Um, To care for our families is another good reason, or to simply enjoy our family, as Jesus did at the wedding in Cana. Um, And so I'm eager for us, uh, both now and in a um, post-COVID society, to think about ways through our public efforts like enacting paid leave, um, or through our private ha- habits um, to protect that time, to honor and tender families, and to nurture, nurture them in times of hardship and celebration, both. Thank you.